This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. This could be a learning moment about the current status of refugees, as well as the Holocaust. But it won't be, because the BBC and Gary Lineker have made it all about them. Too often, drawing a Nazi-like analogy with political opponents has become a sort of currency of political argument. And it devalues both the argument and the people who draw it. Gary, you tweeted, and you sounded indignant, and I'm out of order? You know, you are on this one, right out of order. Jewish concerns about his misuse of the Holocaust has, of course, been tossed aside, but that's not really surprising. The BBC and the Jewish community have an issue, I would say, which makes me very sad as an entertainment journalist who writes a lot about um, the BBC and their fantastic shows. Impartiality and independence are at the heart of what the BBC is all about, which is why I think Lineker should have been told to resign and why it's also true that Richard Sharp's position as chairman after he facilitated that £800,000 loan to Boris Johnson is also untenable. What about Hitler's speech of January 1939 in which he threatened the, quote, annihilation of the Jewish race in Europe? Can Rishi Sunak and his cabinet in any seriousness really be compared in this way? A couple of tweets by the BBC's lead football presenter Gary Lineker brought down the entire coverage of the corporation's TV and radio sport for a weekend. Lineker compared the government's language on immigration as not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 1930s. And then he refused to apologise or back down. Do you fear getting suspended? No. You heard from the BBC, Gary. What does the director general say? Anything about the tweet, Gary? Do you regret sending the tweet at all? No. Do you stand by what you said in your tweet? Of course. Stand by as we mop up the layers of unresolved issues that have fallen by the wayside in the rush to appease Gary and chums and get BBC Sport back on air. Lineker was suspended by the BBC's director general, Tim Davey, on the grounds of impartiality something he acknowledges is very difficult to measure. We, we've made decisions and I've made decisions based on a real passion about what the BBC is and it's difficult. It's this balance between free speech and impartiality and I, I honestly do not believe, despite a lot of the commentary, that this is about left or right. It's about our ability. We, we're fierce champions of democratic debate, free speech, but with that comes the need to create an impartial organisation. And when Lineker's Match of the Day pundits Alan Shearer and Ian Wright stood down in solidarity, Alex Scott followed suit on the preview show Football Focus. Then there was a mass walkout by reporters on Final Score with all the unintended consequences of that blunt show of support. Even the fighting talk game show on BBC Radio was cancelled. Either it confirms what many fear about the BBC, that its staff lack a diversity of opinion, or maybe they thought best not to take on the hierarchy of ex-pros in the studio. Surely not everyone who withdrew their labour took Lineker's stance. Well done to Micah Richards, by the way, who elected to work at Sky Sports that day. 
As a long-time TV and radio sports presenter, I was invited onto numerous TV shows to comment on Lineker and the BBC. I worried about management silence in the hours before the DG took action, but once Lineker had been stood down, there was a sudden opportunity to reset a rather tired match-of-the-day format and to balance the discipline of being in the public eye with the hazards of straying too far from what the public actually want from you as a presenter. My head of sport at ITV, Brian Barwick, once told me to rein it in, lad, (laughs) referring to an exuberance which sometimes would get in the way of why people switched on to the football. He was right, and I became a better broadcaster for that chiding. But let's not forget the odiousness of Lineker's jibe. The content of his tweet matters. Language not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 1930s? There's no greater defender of BBC impartiality than panorama documentary maker John Ware. He won three defamation cases over three long years, asking if Labour was anti-Semitic during the years of Jeremy Corbyn's leadership. And he has this personal message for Lineker. I'm not a footy fan, uh, Gary, but I am a fan of the BBC and I think it does strive hard to be impartial. Not easy in this uh, post-truth world. And I think Director General's right to ensure consistency in the rules to its social media guidelines. And personally, I think if you're given a publicly funded £1.3 million annual platform, you do need to stay off politics and just focus on football. But my beef... Um, Gary is uh, is with your accusation that the Home Secretary's language over the small boats issue was, quote, not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 30s. It's the historical analogy that I find disagreeable. And I see that Alistair Campbell, and I'm surprised by this, agrees with you. He says, quote, the debate is redolent of the language used by politicians and media in the ni- in 1930s Germany. I just don't recognise this, and I don't think any mainstream historian would either. I don't think you'll find many, if any, people st- making, you know, stirring speeches about how the fatherland needs to extirpate the Bolsheviks. I'm not aware of any beer halls in Manchester or London or anywhere else, you know, calling for a new British empire to arise devoid of Jewish vermin by exterminating it root and branch. I'm not aware yet of any racial hygiene departments developing in universities, developing pseudo-scientific curriculum, how to deal with the problem of unworthy lives, lives devoid of value, uh, you know, in order to purify the Aryan race. Not aware of any compulsory sterilization programs being discussed, unless I've missed something. Not aware of any law to protect hereditary health listing those who qualify for compulsory sterilization, feeble-minded, schizophrenics, depressives, the, you know, hereditary blind and the deaf. No um, Stumbag Teilung, I think is the German, the brown shirts to you and me, Gary. Those, you know, Doc Martin boot boys whose job was to, quote, protect Nazi rallies. Didn't mind if they kicked the odd Jew down the street on the way. No race laws prohibiting Germans to marry Jews. Otherwise, I'd be in a concentration camp because my wife's Jewish, and so would the Home Secretary because her husband's Jewish. No Ministry of Public Enlightenment and Propaganda, headed by a sort of Joseph Goebbels, sticking posters on the street, 
shots of migrants officially photographed with, you know, distorted features to turn them into hate figures. No torturing of migrants in police cells and homes raided and ransacked before being packed off to a labour camp. And all of this, you know, heading off towards the mass genocide of the final final solution. So that's a snapshot of what was going on and what was being said in the 1930s, Gary. And I think, you know, you actually got off quite lightly when the Home Secretary said rather mildly, more in sorrow, um, I suspect, than in anger, your lack of historical empathy, if I can put it like that, um, when she said, you know, your comparison was irresponsible. I think it was. But it's just an easy hit, isn't it? Someone you find politically objectionable, um, you know, imply that they're heading down the same road as the Nazis. I mean, too often drawing a Nazi-like analogy with political opponents has become the sort of currency of political argument. And it devalues both the argument and the people who draw it. And I noticed you, Gary, you tweeted, and you sounded indignant, and I'm out of order? You know, you are on this one, right out of order. David Bolkover is the author of The Greatest Comeback, the story of Bella Gutman, Benfica's twice European champion winning coach, who survived the Holocaust in which his family were murdered. And David says Lineker can spout whatever he wants, so long as he's willing to confront the actual facts of 30s Germany. I think that Gary Lineker, as a sports presenter, should be able to say exactly what he likes about any issue without any repercussions whatsoever. That said, he should be confronted with the ignorance of his statement that the language used by the UK government on the issue of immigration is, quote, not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 1930s. What about the announcement of the Nuremberg Laws of 1935, which stripped Jews of their citizenship and forbade Jews from sexual relations or marriages with non-Jews? What about the language of the German government, which whipped up the frenzy that resulted in Kristallnacht in November 1938, in which rioters ransacked and looted about 7,500 Jewish businesses, killed at least 91 Jews, arrested 30,000 Jewish men, torched 1,400 synagogues and vandalised Jewish hospitals, homes, schools and cemeteries? What about Hitler's speech of January 1939, in which he threatened the, quotes, annihilation of the Jewish race in Europe. Can Rishi Sunak and his cabinet, in any seriousness, really be compared in this way? There's much more to this than Lineker's suspension by the BBC over its guidelines. In the social media age, you may well think those rules are past their sell-by date, that they don't apply to sports presenters, or they're a Samson's pillar for a licence fee which should be abolished. Ask Jewish and Israeli people about BBC impartiality and you'll get a short shrift. The Anglo-Jewish community has had its run-ins with the BBC in recent years as well. Nicole Lampert, a freelance entertainment journalist, has also written about anti-Semitism. And she says Jewish concerns over Lineker's tweets have been tossed aside by the BBC. Relations with the national broadcaster are not good. I can see why they've made this fudge, because... Of course, it's the, the weekend and everything that happened with sport not being shown was an absolute disaster. And, as many have pointed out, the rules about BBC freelancers and their use of social media 
are inconsistent and arbitrary. And so I definitely welcome that this is looked at so that there is a kind of balance across the board about what people can say and what they can't say. Jewish concerns about his misuse of the Holocaust has, of course, been tossed aside, but that's not really surprising. The BBC and the Jewish community have an issue, I would say, which makes me very sad as an entertainment journalist who writes a lot about um, the BBC and their fantastic shows. What he said about 1930s Germany, it wasn't anti-Semitism. And I can see that, you know, there were Jewish voices that applauded him for using that analogy, whereas there are many other voices that said it was a kind of Holocaust revisionism in that, of course, it didn't start this this idea that it started slowly, slowly with words isn't really true. And I, I put that down partly to the Holocaust isn't taught well enough in our schools. Indeed, the BBC has its challenges on impartiality. It often demands an, an edifying moral equivalence between two opposing arguments. But in the age of multinational media corporations, what a noble starting point to try to aim for. Impartiality can also be the bedrock of a nation's value system, a unit of soft power, an ideal which puts the nation on the map around the world. Nick Timothy anticipated the BBC's climb down in his Daily Telegraph column, and Theresa May's former Joint Chief of Staff says both Lineker and BBC Chairman Richard Sharp should go. Then the national broadcaster can be repurposed in a time in which he believes it's needed more than ever. Well, the BBC seems to have caved. Lineker has agreed to respect the existing rules while they're reviewed, but presumably the expectation is that the review will make those rules more permissive. And you have to say that that seems very damaging for Tim Davey and for public confidence in the BBC's attitude to impartiality. Impartiality and independence are at the heart of what the BBC is all about, which is why I think Lineker should have been told to resign and why it's also true that Richard Sharp's position as chairman after he facilitated that £800,000 loan to Boris Johnson is also untenable. The BBC is just under pressure like never before. It's not about only, it's not only about impartiality and independence. Uh, but about the way broadcasting is changing so rapidly. Channels will soon be gone. Streaming is leading to these huge changes in the industry, mega mergers between these huge American companies like Disney, 21st Century Fox. And the BBC is now being outspent by firms like that, and in particular, Netflix. But I still think we need public service broadcasting more than ever. We'll still choose the BBC to come together during shared national moments. We need... Security. I mean, I think it is actually genuinely national security to protect us from misinformation and disinformation. We should want to promote British content and high culture and not just depend on American imports. And our own cultural exports uh, bring us influence in the world. So my view is get rid of Lineker, get rid of Sharp, back Tim Davey, who's trying to do all he can to protect the BBC's founding principles, and then let's have a cross-party Royal Commission on the future of public service broadcasting so we can protect impartial, independent uh, news and culture uh, for the rest of the century to come. Aside from respecting impartiality while working for the national broadcaster, this raises the personal conduct of Twitter people with large amounts of followers. And whatever Lineker's intent, his flow of tweets prompt online bullying from over 8 million followers. 
Two years ago, BBC Sport and Sky Sports joined forces with a hate-won't-win campaign which Lineker prominently fronted. If such initiatives are to mean anything at all, more than handy logos to play in between action replays, tangible rules on personal conduct need adhering to, whether by BBC guidelines or another directive. Amid this pop-up melee, we may lose the lesson about online bullying. Jonathan Sacerdotti, prominent British-Jewish broadcaster and journalist, says Lineker's a repeat offender in breaching guidelines, which meant sooner or later he'd be on a collision course with the BBC. On the one hand, some people have said that he should have the right to have tweeted what he wants to, his opinions, on any issue. And there's been the allegation that the people who've laid into him for it are the same people who would have defended other people if they'd shared different types of opinions. And I think we get down to the question then of whether or not uh, people are in favour of freedom of speech all the time, universally, or whether they're only in favour of freedom of speech when it's speech that they agree with. I think that's a valid question that we have to wrestle with, but I don't think it's necessarily what's relevant here. In this instance, Gary Lineker has broken the BBC rules, and he's done that in the past as well, actually, when it came to tweeting about Israel and its defensive actions against terrorists having killed someone. Uh, He condemned that even when it was later shown that the man in question who was killed was linked with Hamas, the prescribed terror organization. And I think that the fact that he's a repeat offender, let's say, of breaking the BBC's guidelines, that its own presenters shouldn't tweet these sorts of things, shouldn't tweet opinions uh, on contentious issues or political issues, uh, means that they had to act. And I think that it's a misguided comparison, personally. Plenty of people have have explained why. Uh, There was that very fine piece by Karen Pollock in The Times, for example. Uh, The simple matter is that Jews in Germany weren't immigrants, And yes, we can get into all the technicalities of of where Jews migrated from and to during that period, but it's not the same thing. The two situations aren't the same. Jews weren't immigrants or illegal immigrants in Germany. Uh, The Jews of Germany, who are well-integrated people in society, really firmly established Germans, were murdered just the same as, as any others. And Hitler... And the Nazi machine had from a very early point the intention of eradicating Jews, wiping out Jews, murdering Jews, killing Jews, uh, none of which I think is is true of the current government's plans to do with illegal immigrants. And I think for anyone to suggest that there is that underlying plan is just deeply wrong, very sad, actually. And yes, I think it undermines the true memory and message of what happened in Nazi Germany. And that's really not something I think anyone should be doing in public, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. Jonathan mentioned Lineker's lament for a Hamas fighter killed in a clash with the IDF, later emerging that, in fact, it had happened during an attack on Jews visiting Joseph's tomb in Judea and Samaria in a coordinated security arrangement between Israel and the Palestinians. This is Jonathan Turner, the chief executive of UK Lawyers for Israel. Hi, Johnny. Uh, Gary Lineker's Twitter has over 8 million followers. So when he retweeted that the Israeli occupation forces had treacherously killed a promising young footballer, probably millions of people would have assumed that this is what Israel does. But the facts were rather different. The footballer was a Hamas terrorist who participated in an armed attack 
on Jewish worshippers at a holy site, the reputed tomb of Joseph in Nablus, a visit coordinated between the Israeli and Palestinian authorities. The um, Israeli army protecting the worshippers fired back and the terrorist was killed. Now, Gary Lineker is not an expert in the Middle East, and no doubt he was taken in by the propaganda, as he has been on other occasions. But he should have corrected it when it was drawn to his attention, so that the millions of followers would not be misled into hating those terrible Jews. But he hasn't. So we have complained to the BBC, pointed out that the BBC's social media guidance does require BBC staff who make mistakes on social media to correct them quickly when it is drawn to their attention. Alex Hearn is a Jewish Chronicle contributor and director of Labour Against Anti-Semitism. And he says this could have been a learning moment had Lineker not made it all about himself. I don't personally think that Gary Lineker should have been taken off air, but the incident itself and the responses around it show a worrying lack of education over the Holocaust, which urgently needs to be addressed. This could be a learning moment about the current status of refugees, as well as the Holocaust. But it won't be, because the BBC and Gary Lineker have made it all about them. And so Lineker and Chums are back on air emboldened by staff mutiny. But the BBC management climb down mustn't give him a free pass. If so, what will be distinct about the BBC in the future? Are you playing catch-up with Johnny Gould's Jewish State? I've had the pleasure of some really great guests recently. How about Douglas Murray? Israel is a rare country in the West uh, in that it does buck many of the trends. I mean, there isn't a, there isn't a fertility rate problem in, in Israel. Um, for instance, as there, there is in, in most European countries. There is a strong feeling of nationhood and of the depths that the country needs to call upon in order to unite its people. And Hillel Neuer, whose UN Watch keeps check on the excesses and mission creep of the UN human rights in Geneva. The challenges are great. They're not going away. I am concerned by the cultural revolution that we've experienced in America in the past five years, the known to some of the woke revolution, where there's a kind of a McCarthyism. If you say something, it could be cancelled and fired from your university, from your corporation, uh, from uh, journalists. And often it's, uh, it's an anti-liberalism. So that, that, to be honest, really, really scares me because we need our democracies to be healthy, to be honest, to be, to be truth-tellers. And so I am deeply concerned. Ex-foreign affairs and diplomatic TV correspondent, now best-selling author Tim Marshall, on the power of geography. Basically, we just really need to try as hard as we can to understand the other side and, and seek to... Uh, seek to make compromises. Um, I'll leave you with that. I actually think compromise is a beautiful word. Danny, the Mossad commander and the extraordinary story of the Red Sea spies. Yeah, I wanted to tell you that because this is something I know, I think I, I never told anybody. Danny, this is very, very beautiful and 
I, <laughs> this is really going to be uh, an extraordinary interview. And former chief of staff at number 10, who believes remaking conservatism can unite the country once more, it's Nick Timothy. Liberalism on one hand can simply mean a kind of pluralism, a commitment to one another that we know we're all a bit different and that what we have here, we want to tolerate different ways of life and different views. And that, that is the, the good side of liberalism, I think. The other side of liberalism is it, it tolerates difference uh, and it tolerates pluralism as a means of progress because the trial and error those things allow means that we get a, an ever-improving society. And the danger of that is that once you think that you are set on a course of inevitable progress, then people who disagree with your view about the end point must be irrational, they must be nefarious, they must be they're stopping uh, this inevitable positive change towards this ever more perfect society. If you like Johnny's regular podcasts, think about making a donation. Buy him a coffee. He loves coffee. ko-fi.com slash Johnny Gould.